and thank you for joining us. My name is Laura Myers, and I'm a pulmonary critical care physician at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Welcome to today's podcast with Dr. Christopher Goss. Dr. Goss is a professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Washington. He's also the recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award given in 2019 by the Behavioral Science and Health Services Research Assembly of the American Thoracic Society. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Goss. Well, thanks for uh, having me. Well, we'd love to hear a little bit about your uh, career and your perspective, having received this uh, prestigious award. So maybe you can talk about um, the role that ATS has uh, played in your career over time, specifically the BSHSR assembly. Well, well, thanks for asking. I think the, the ATS has been really instrumental in helping me as an academic, um, really with networking, with like-minded souls all over the country and the world. So um, I joined ATS as a fellow in my second year and have been a member ever since and have been a, a member of the Behavioral Sciences Assembly since the early 2000s and um, held numerous uh, uh, posts within the, the assembly. And the ATS actually gave me an opportunity, one, to, to um, uh, um, take leadership roles in an organization and to help drive an agenda for an organization and also to really sort of help shape and mold things like the, the international conference and, and really sort of uh, make sure that epidemiology and clinical research got a sort of a clear focus and also that behavioral sciences got a focus at the meeting and as part of the assembly, as part of the organization. So it's been, uh, you know, a, a real, real wonderful experience. The vast majority of my colleagues um, who I uh, communicate with nationally and globally actually came from uh, relationships I made at the ATS. So it's really been a, a unique um, experience that I, I've valued ever since I started. Mm. Sounds like it's really shaped your career. Yeah, I mean, it. it when it comes to sort of knowing people outside of your narrow field, and I study specifically CF, ATS gave me that opportunity to know about health services researchers and and, and epidemiologists outside of CF who do important work um, that's similar to what I do, and I could gain from their experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I know that the BSHSR membership is fairly small, but I like to say that we're a very mighty assembly. Yeah, I think that's a very accurate statement because, you know, it's it's one, also it's an assembly. I think when you come and participate, it's almost like being in a family. Um, and that, that family sort of really helps you along in your sort of career. And um, I can't tell you how many times I've met a, a junior faculty in the Behavioral Science Assembly and Health Services Assembly the BH, uh, that then went forward, and uh, I now know them as uh, accomplished academicians. I think that's very true. I've definitely felt that way as an early career person in the assembly. So um, I think we're very lucky to be involved in the assembly. Yeah, it really can shape uh, junior faculty's uh, uh, academic experience. And Dr. Goss, um, in looking back over your many accomplishments, you know, you've been um, highly funded by NIH and other sources like the CF Foundation, um, and you've been able to publish hundreds of articles in peer-reviewed literature. Is there accomplishment that you feel that you're the most proud of? 
Well, I, I think I, I, I'm most proud of my um, experience sort of expanding the role of epidemiology in cystic fibrosis. Um, I started uh, doing studies of secondary data analysis in cystic fibrosis, and there had not been a lot of work in the CF Foundation registry. And um, I started working in that area and then ultimately became the chair of the registry committee um, and then has have seen it sort of blossom into numerous young investigators all over the country, um, you know, answering clinical questions using secondary data. And it's been, that, that's been a really great experience. Um, I think the other sort of thing I'm really proud of is I run a coordinating center. So I run the Cystic Fibrosis uh, Foundation Therapeutic Development Network Coordinating Center with a statistician, my colleague, uh, Nicole Mayer Hamlet. And being involved in that has been other, also absolutely extraordinary. I've been able to have my sort of hand on the pulse of the changing uh, clinical trials in CF and actually been able to guide uh, quite a large number of them to the point where we run about 15 trials at all times. And I've been able to watch the implementation of basic science turning into translational science, turning into clinical care, and then implementation of that care, and then studying of algorithms of care. So it's been, it's, and, and then to see the outcomes in CF do, uh, in CF patients change so dramatically over time, and to know that you've had some part in that has just been a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. I, I can definitely attest to the fact that I think that the CF field has really even evolved in the last five to ten years since I've been out of medical school. So it's really um, changing rapidly. Um, and I know that you've been at the forefront of a lot of that. Um, so congratulations on this award and congratulations on such a job well done. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really been an honor to be involved in it. And also, it's just, it's one of the great settings in life where you get to, you know, see studies go forward, then actually implement the results of those studies, and then do another study, and then implement the results of those studies, and watch them have general improvement in clinical care has been really something else. And what would you say, Dr. Goss, is um, the way you envision CF care going forward? So looking into the future, maybe 5, 10, 20 years. CF care is, is going to be an interesting, it's it, it, it will face its, its own challenges. Um, the, the new modulator therapies when instituted young may transform the lives of children with CF um, to the point where they don't have noticeable end organ injury. Um, mm-hmm. There still is going to be a very large population of patients with existing lung disease and pancreatic insufficiency and bowel disorders, regardless of our great therapies. So, I think there's going to be still a lot of care and advances that we need to target. And, and the reality is these, these new drugs, these CFDR modulators, are wonderful in that they, they do seem to have fairly large clinical effects. Um, there, there probably is going to need to have more advances in science to actually really cure this genetic disease. Things like mm-hmm. gene editing and gene therapy that can actually, you know, in a one-time treatment actually reverse, uh, uh, you know, um, early cell mutations and, and actually and actually cure the disease and 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 make it a non disease. Um, I think for my career, I'll be spending a lot of my time uh, managing now uh, prevention of of any significant morbidity and mortality with this disease with novel therapies and with you know careful careful monitoring, and that will still be central to what we do. That's very exciting. 
And what would you say, um, looking back on all of the papers and grants that you've written, was there a particular one that you were uh, maybe surprised, you know, ended up um, as successful as it was or, um, you know, an idea or a kernel of knowledge that you felt like um, ended up, you know, surprising the scientific community uh, more than you anticipated looking back on things? Yeah, it's it's um, one paper that I spent a lot of time and energy on, and and it's actually the opposite reason. It was actually a a, a trial that I thought had a high pretest probability of being successful, um, which is that of home monitoring in pulmonary to identify pulmonary exacerbations. Um, and I'm proud of it because it was carefully done. It was difficult to do. It was large. It was multicenter. Um, and it had a really strong scientific premise, but the irony is actually that that it actually had no effect on lung function after a year, despite having you know requiring a lot of of clinics and also patients, and really understanding that actually we could identify these events, these pulmonary exacerbations with home monitoring, but maybe we weren't treating them appropriately. So my what it did is open my eye to maybe we should be studying pulmonary exacerbation in a more rigorous way, and that's what we're doing now. We have a very large 60-center, uh, multi-center study to, to actually start to standardize the management and treatment of pulmonary exacerbation and CF uh, to get a set duration of therapy. And then we'll be tackling other key aspects of the management of these events. And but the, So the failure of a trial actually taught me uh, the, the challenges of management. So the home monitoring identified these events very well, but treating them didn't with this sort of non-protocolized approach did not actually improve care. So now we need standardized approaches to treatment. That makes sense. That's a really interesting example. And would you say that there are times in your career when you look back and think that um, there was, you know, a barrier that seemed insurmountable maybe at the time, but in some way you overcame it? Yeah, I think the, I think there's there's these critical times in your career, and I was I was very worried that I wouldn't be successful. I think I was a fourth year assistant professor, and it's really when things are really starting to hit the the, the rubber's trying to hit the road, and and I'm starting to wonder if I can actually get that next level of grant funding. Um, I had two small children and a, a wife here in Seattle, and I was. I, I started to have to look around to see, if, you know, was I going to not be able to do research? Would I have to do a different kind of job? Um, so it was a very stressful time, and, and it did seem like the odds were, were against me in, in actually making that next jump. Um, but I, I fortunately landed a, uh, a large, uh, uh, at the time, relatively large grant, an, an R21, that then led, I then had an R01, and then other grants followed. But it, it almost, uh, uh, it was a very critical time, and that needing that first success was, was so important, and it seemed to lead to more success. And is there any advice you would give to um, either recent graduates of Pulmonary Critical Care Fellowship or early faculty uh, like me who are, you know, trying to develop a career in the research world? Yeah, I think that's, that's a, those, are, those are great questions. I think one of the things um, that is so important in academics is to f- first acknowledge what the coin of the realm is, and that is papers and grants, and papers beget grants. So to, to make sure 
junior faculty and young investigators, you know, take those finished products and take them over the finish line because it's really hard to do that. It takes a mm-hmm. ton of time. Um, and I think um, being able to do that successfully in a timely fashion is just a recipe for success. Um, but the other thing is to enjoy the journey. <laughs> and I think this is probably the most important thing I carried through my entire career and still do to this day, is that you have to like the process because um, it's arduous, and you have to sort of start to understand how you like the process. Uh, and that comes to aspects like reviewing papers, reviewing grants, writing grants, writing papers, um, learning that you actually can enjoy the process of sort of putting out a new idea and trying to figure out the, the risks and the opportunities for this new idea. And so, but, but you have to enjoy, if you enjoy that process, um, and you, it'll, it'll really, I think, have a profound effect on your life and not worry as much about, um, in, in many ways, uh, the endpoints, although we always worry about the endpoints. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that actually leads to another question I had for you, and that was, um, where do you get uh, inspired? So, so my inspiration for research is usually in the clinic, actually. Um, that's where a lot of good ideas come from. Um, it's the, and, and the, the, the initial nugget of an idea of a clinical problem that you can actually solve with clinical research and you can actually, you know, dissect and actually, and, and solve a problem. Um, uh, the good example is that uh, why I'm so interested in pulmonary exacerbation. I got tired of telling all the residents at the University of Washington that I have no evidence for anything I do in treating a pulmonary <laughs> exacerbation. I just got tired of saying that line and said, well, I've got to go and solve this. I've got to get together and actually do a systematic approach and starting to understand and manage it. Um, but then I think it's really important to have, you know, you know, take time for family, you know, take time for your personal life. Um, I've learned that um, over time, you, the job can take as much time as it, as it takes. And uh, making sure you carve out, you know, your own personal time um, doing different things. Um, I, I, I make sure I have these set uh, things that I do every year that I don't, I don't deviate from. So I go, I go skiing in Wyoming with my brothers and my friends from college backcountry skiing, and I do it every year, and I continue to do it. So the ritual is very important. Um, but also making sure you exercise, or w- if, if that's what you like to do, or read or cook. Um, make sure you make that time, because that, that will help you sort of uh, sort of in, endure what is really a, a very intense life and a very intense uh, uh, work environment. I think that sounds like great advice and definitely ways to avoid burnout in, um, you know, such a high-stress um, profession. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I do things like I exercise. I, I got to the age of I, I finished my first year of pulmonary fellowship and realized that I hadn't exercised once um, in a year. <laughs> and I just said never again. And I made it a big focus to always make sure I exercise every day. And that's just what I do. Um, and and that that sort of and realizing that you may get a little behind on some other things, but the work doesn't ever stop. So making sure you you take some time to nurture your soul and keep your body healthy is going to be really important in the long run. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Goss, for giving us some insights into your career, um, having received this uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. 
Well, I just want to thank all the Behavioral Sciences Assembly, uh, Health Services Assembly um, um, membership uh, for you know supporting this nomination and giving this award. It's wonderful and it's very meaningful for uh, part of the ATS and the ATS it, it, itself uh, for someone who feels that their career has been so enhanced by the ATS to get acknowledgement from the ATS. So I feel I owe the ATS more than the ATS owes me. Well, congratulations, and we can't wait to see what you accomplish in the next phase of your career. This doesn't yeah. mean that you stop researching. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dr. Ross.